Welcome to the podcast of Grace Covenant Church, where we are transformed by God's grace, connected through relationships, and committed to service. So we came to Regage, and we believed that we had a pretty decent marriage. We weren't arguing a whole lot, so based on that, we judged it as a pretty decent marriage. But the reason we weren't arguing is because we weren't communicating, and something that we engaged really helped our marriage with is learning how to communicate and giving us tools to you know, have a happy marriage. I've been truly amazed to see how God has pulled together six different couples from different life stages and different walks of life uh, and bonded us so closely together. It's been like a family. Just to really see how the curriculum is set up and how it, it forces conversation between you. You have to talk about some things that maybe you wouldn't have talked about before that grows you and strengthens you and more, makes your marriage more solid than it ever was before. Through Reengage, God really showed me the meaning of true forgiveness and um, helped me apply that to my marriage. I was really struck by how much uh, working on myself and my relationship with God really impacted my marriage in a positive way. One of the great things that God has taught us during this time in Reengage was how to deal with conflict. And we have two different, completely different styles of communication, one very forceful, one definitely pulling back. And God really worked through Reengage to, to get us to, to help us to deal with issues that we normally would, would not have dealt with. The classes are real, the people are real. It's not just book work. It's real lives being changed by through Christ. Real problems, real people, real healing. Good morning. It is always good to hear stories. Real lives, real change. I love the way our video guys are able to consolidate so many great stories in such a brief period of time. Anyway, we'll have more of that uh, coming to you. This summer, I had a chance to listen to a, um, a series of lectures on the Middle Ages and mostly the Roman rule, and I was just fascinated by that, and because of that, you're going to hear about it. <clears throat> I think, here's my suspicion, uh, I, I think the Romans were able to rule in such a uh, you know, vast areas for such a long period of time because they were able to negotiate um, the conflict between the classic jocks versus nerds. They, they got along in Rome. They, at least for the Western world, uh, those, those nerds could, they made engineering sexy. They, they brought it in a new way and they could build anything. I mean, if they wanted to build it, they built it. And, and it, for some, some of it is still standing to this day. And then, the, you know, and the jocks, their military was the best in the world and still is a bit of a gold standard on what it takes to, you know, to train in the military. Special forces adapt a lot of the things that they were doing back in the first century. And so when these two things get together, great engineering and great athleticism and great militaries to defend what the engineers built, you can, you can rule a lot of land for a long period of time. Let me give you an example. Um, the northern, when they, originally when Rome was invading most of Europe, the, the northern natural barrier was the Rhine River. And on the north was Germania and the south was the Roman Empire. And whenever, in the early years, when they would invade to the north, they would have these pontoon bridges. They, they did the pontoon bridges. They'd go over there and beat, beat the guys up. And then 
And as the civilization continued around 27 AD or so, they built permanent bridges there across the Rhine River. But now it's to make sure that Germania didn't invade them because around, you know, as, as the empire ended and it went to the republic and then, the, and then things were getting worse, what, what was going on is uh, the Huns and the Goths were invading Germania from the north and squeezing the Germanic refugees to the Rhine River. And the point is, Rome had to defend that northern and eastern border to keep the Germanians out. And it was, it was not a problem. I mean, it was not a problem because they had this natural barrier. They had this beautiful bridge. I mean, this bridge, the, the permanent bridge that they built, it's like 340 feet long. It's about it's longer than a football field, 39 feet across, which it, was, it had multiple lanes going and coming. There were 21, you know, giant pillars of, of granite encased in brass for the footings to build this bridge. This is not a suspension bridge. This is a legitimate permanent bridge. And they built that, and they could cross at any time they chose because they guarded that bridge with an official, full, you know, fully fortified Roman fortress. And so when things got a little heated because of the Germanic refugees kind of pushing on the river, it wasn't a problem. I mean, sleep tight, Rome. You know, this bridge is going to hold. You, you have, have, you know... Live in peace. Live in peace. Because we have a Roman guard working that bridge. And, and then on December 31st, New Year's Eve, 406, the Rhine River flooded, or, or froze. The whole river froze. And now the refugees just walked across. And the Roman soldiers tried to put up a fight, and they couldn't, and then then there was a skirmish, and then a war broke out, and that is the day that many scholars put as the date of the decline of the Roman rule, the day the Rhine River froze. They thought of everything. They had this thing all worked out. It was a perfect plan, but they hadn't planned on the river freezing. The reason I tell you that story is because it's a perfect example if you look in your Bibles on, to Psalm 127, I want you to look there because Solomon writes this fabulous story. It's a, it's a, it's a proverb. It's a, it's a psalm. Psalms is right in the middle of your Bibles. And this psalm, Solomon's saying, and he ought to know, this is what it's like when the Lord does not build something. If, if God doesn't build something for you. And, and the reason I say that that's perfect for Solomon, because this, this, these are good things. He's saying, look, if the Lord's building a house, if the Lord's building your family, if the Lord's protecting the things that you've built, you know, this is, this is what matters in your family uh, ambitions. And look, I'll just read the first two verses. The rest of the chapter is about building a family. Uh, this is setting up that family. Verse 1 says, Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchmen, they're standing guard in vain. In vain you rise up early and you stay up late toiling for the food that you eat. I think it's great that Solomon would write this because he should know. I mean, it, it took him 13 years to build his personal palace. And if the Lord doesn't, isn't part of that, he's doing the whole thing in vain. And protection, his name is Solomon. It means peace. No one ruled a larger province for Israel. Israel's borders were never bigger than when they were under, than when they were under Solomon. He ruled in peace and, and family. He had a, thou, he had a thousand wives. 
got a lot of family. But the Lord wasn't part of it, and it vanished like that. And who is Solomon now? He's the patron saint of, of lost potential. I mean, if there was ever a, a human being that could have been so much more, but he didn't let the Lord build his house. And he writes this psalm and says, oh, you better let the Lord build your house. Because here's the thing. This is a warning from him to us. Look, it's, it's not if you fail, it's, it's worse. Is that you could succeed in the, all your endeavors and do it without God. It is not that you would fail. That's a possibility. But worse still, you could actually succeed, but you do it without God. I want you, I want to, let's look at the passage again. I want to make three observations, but let's read it one more time. Unless the Lord builds the house, it's, it's builder's labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchmen are back and forth, back and forth, training in vain. In vain, you rise up early and you stay up late, toiling to get that bread of sorrow. I mean, three things. It's real easy to jump and kind of miss some of the bigger points here. But the, point, the first point is, these are not bad things. All these things that Solomon's talking about, God wants for your life. He'd love for you to build a place where you can be safe. He'd love you know, for it to be safe, to protect yourself. He would love for you to have provisions, food, and, and, and a family. Later on in those next verses, he talks about family. It's, it's a good thing. Second is that you could actually get it. He says, he's talking about building a house. He did. He built a physical house. He built a family. He did that too. He did protect his borders. He did cause provision. So he got those things. And see, that's the rub. That's the, that's the threat. That's the warning. Is there, the, God is polite. He'll, he'll let you leave. He'll, you know, like C.S. Lewis says, right? I mean, there's, there's two types of people in the world. God's who, people who say to the Lord, thy will be done. And people that just keep pushing God away. And he says, fine. God says to you, thy will be done. Just do it. You know, knock yourself out. Build your empire. Build your family. Control everything. I hope the river doesn't freeze. In, in Exodus chapter 33, 1 through 3 or 4, it's, it's a great story because it's this invitation where God writes a blank check to Moses and Israel. It's right after the golden calf episode. You might know that from the movies where you read it in the Bible where Moses leaves just for a brief period of time and they, the people panic and they just, next thing you know, they have, they have molded this false god. They're idol worshiping a calf made out of gold. And they're worshiping it like it's, it's this, the one who saved them from Egypt. And so after the whole thing clears out, the new chapter starts in verse 33. And God says, you know what? Look, I made promises to your forefathers. Um, just take the people and go. Just, they'll get everything. I promised Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They'll get it all, okay? They go to the land of milk and honey. I will send an angel ahead of you, and he'll, he'll take out all the bad guys. And, and I'm, I'm, again, I will not compromise on any of the joy. Right? You, it will be overwhelmed. It will overwhelm you with provisions and protection, but I'm not going to go. You just go without me. I, you guys, you're stiff-necked people that don't love me. And, and here's the thing. Our relationship with God is most likened in the Bible to a marriage, it, this intimate thing. He, he's not our boss. He's not the genie that we rub our lamps so we get stuff. God is saying, no, no, it's a relationship. It, it's like he's saying, if, if, you were, if you were to say to your mate, you know what, I've got this big honeymoon planned or this vacation trip planned, and it's, 
and the whole list of stuff is all about me. I could see, couldn't you hear your mate say, you don't need me. You, you go to Maui without me. That whole list is all about you. You go, your tractor pull and your car shows and all that stuff. Why don't you bring a friend? I thought it was a honeymoon. You don't need me. Right? That sounds very strange, I hope. But that's, what's, that's how we treat God. <laughs> I should tell you, I watched The Terminator on my honeymoon. <laughs> and I'm still hearing about it. It wasn't relational. So let's go on to this passage, please. <laughs> so it, it could be something, if you're, if, you're, if you're just trying to live a good life, it'll be something that God wants for you. It, you could get it even without God. But here's the other third point that you need to see in this. It's going to be unnecessarily hard. See how verse 2 ends? In vain you rise up early and you stay up late, toiling Toiling for the food that you eat. New American Standard says the bread that you eat is, pain, is from painful labor. I mean, it's a, this is supposed to bring us back, the word toils, to bring us back to the original curse of Adam. I mean, he was, supposed to, he was made and designed to work the garden. You know, he was, a, he was a farmer rancher. And it was good. It was fun. It was worship. And now it's become toil. It's not the work. Now it's this anxiety. Now it's, it's the, the ringing of the soul to get what you want. Two things happen when you're not, when God's not building your house, when God's not protecting the bridge for you, okay? One, if you succeed, you, you get proud. I mean, you show it off. You want people to know about your success because, you know, you worked hard for that. And so there's various ways that you do that. When you're young, you kind of say it out loud. When you're older, you kind of sneak it in there so that everybody knows. Everybody knows. Look at my kids. Look at my wealth, whatever it might be. And the, or the other, right? If you, if you fail. And again, your ego is wrapped up into this thing, and it gets blocked somehow. You get angry, or you get bitter, or you get jealous towards someone else that does have it. That's what, that's what the toil means, the hard labor that's attached to that. So what does it look like if, it, if, you, if the Lord does build your house? I mean, you, look at, you could just kind of look at the verse, but just change the words around a little bit. If the Lord does build your house, then you're still building but it's not in vain. If the Lord does watch over your city, the watchmen are still working out and they're, they're, you know, sharpening their spears and everything, but it's not, they're not guarding in vain. Look at the very end of chapter two. It says, uh, verse two, it says, and he grants sleep for those he loves. I mean, what does it look like? It looks like peace. He grants sleep for those who are his. You know what? The New American Standard, another translation, it's a little more literal, says, he, it says, he gives to his beloved as they sleep. So there's this kind of a double meaning here. Uh, you know, you're going to work hard. Yeah, that's part of it. But if the Lord's building a house, I'm going to give you a good night's sleep. And while you're sleeping, I'm going to be staying up. I, I got this. I'm working on this. If, if the Lord's building your family... Okay. You can stay up and talk this thing to death and let it get farther and farther away from harmony. Or you can just say, you know, what? I'm going to have to trust God that he can work this thing out together. And you go to bed and you sleep and the next morning you wake up and you and your child are ready to just be nice. Because the Lord gives you sleep and he's doing the work while you're sleeping. He's doing, he's doing all the work for you. Dwayne Lipton, when he teaches on this passage... He says, look, it's like, it's like hiking Pike's Peak with your five-year-old. 
I mean, you start hand in hand, but next thing you know, he's, you know, right, he's piggyback riding, and then he falls asleep. But it's the dad that's doing the work. And he, so he says, he makes the transition. He says, the father wants to carry you on his shoulders. Why not let him? Why not give that to him? What does it look like? It looks like peace. Also, there's no pride. How can there be pride? Your five-year-old gets to the top of Pike's Peak, gets woken up. (laughs) I did it. I climbed Pike's Peak. Cannot wait for show and tell when I get back home. Well, the kids might buy it because they're young and naive, but the teacher's going to be shaking her head going, you did not climb Pike's Peak. You know, as a pastor, I can tell you, I see, I can see lives where people are, they're doing the right things, but the Lord's not building their house. They're working hard. They're staying up. They're going to bed, you know, with, with anxiety and it's torquing them and twisting them and they're bitter and they're controlling and they get out of their way. And there's other people they're just kind of living. Okay, listen, they're living the same lives, but, but the Lord's building their house. So you, I mean, my point is, you, don't you blame this on your boss or the place where you work or the stage of life that you're in or the age of your children because, because that's not the issue. The issue is whether the Lord's building your house. And if the Lord's building a house, you have peace. And he gives you sleep. And while you're sleeping, he's doing the work for you. Look, let me give you another illustration. Sid Charisse, in an interview one time, she's a very famous dancer from back in the days of the musicals. And Sid Charisse said, my husband always knew who my dance partner was. I mean, we'd always practice hard, 12, 16 hours a day. That's, that just goes without saying. But whenever I danced with Fred Astaire, he would not really make much mention of it. But whenever I danced with Gene Kelly, I'd be covered in bruises. Same event, same dance number, but some people are living their lives and the Lord's not building their house and they are covered head to toe in bruises and other people are letting the Lord lead like Fred Astaire and they have all the fun with the work, but there's peace. The Lord's doing the work for them. How about you? I mean, don't you want, I mean, what the question is, right? We got to talk about this for a few weeks. How do you live in a way that you would kind of be assured that the Lord is doing the work? Is there something like, I don't know, some principles or, or fundamentals that we could apply to our lives so we could say, well, I don't, I don't want to be covered in bruises. I don't want to be the person that's, you know, always needing to be in charge. So here's, let me give you some help. And, 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 and you know what, the whole, the whole worship time today is leading today's worship. I mean, worship time is leading today's talk. I mean, all the stuff we sang, all the stuff we read was talking about putting your hope and trust in God. Look what it says in Hebrews 11, not verse 1, which is what we read, but verse 6. And without faith, it is impossible to please God, right? And, and he who comes to God must believe that he is, that he is what? That he's involved in building houses, that he's involved in building families, that he's involved in protecting, that he's involved in providing. He's involved in all that. And that he rewards those who seek him. How does he reward those who seek him? With peace, with no pride. He gives them sleep. He works while you're sleeping. That's what he does. He's carrying you. 
So, so that's good and all, and that's a neat verse, but how do, how do you live by faith so you please God and you bring him into that? How do you let him build your house? Here's, here's what I would recommend. It's, it's, it's a concept. So if you could somehow visualize your work, your life rather, your whole life and the way you think about life, you have to have this giant X factor that's kind of a physics, it's not a show, it's a physics actually a formula where there's just this just big unknown that kind of makes the formula work. And that X factor is God. Let me put it kind of a more mechanical, this might be help, more helpful. Uh, in the, in, the, in the middle of, the, of an old-fashioned analog watch, right, you've seen pictures of those. You might have one, right, with all the gears turning. Okay, the center cog that turns all the other cogs is the God cog. You have to, you have to arrange your life so that if that cog doesn't turn, nothing else turns. You've got to kind of structure and make decisions and literally plan so that God is in the center of your work, your family, your peace, the way you look at life, and when it turns, everything turns. And, and when that happens, you know it's the Lord that's building your house. It's the Lord that's watching your wall. It's the Lord that's providing for your family. And if the river freezes, he's got that too. Unless the Lord builds this house, I mean, what, would it, what would it be like? Wouldn't it, would it be dreadful or, or regretful, certainly, that you could get to the end of your career and never have a story where God intervened, where you have this, this thing where you have to tell your business story, and part of it is an answer to prayer. What if you got to the kids out of the house and you couldn't tell a single fascinating, spellbinding something or other where God came in and protected them or provided kind of out of absolute nowhere? Do you want to, you don't want to live that life? Because then you'll, you'd never know if the Lord built the house or not. I'll tell you, he probably he didn't build the house. He makes himself obvious when we need him the most. Let me give you, let me give you just a couple of examples. One with uh, parenting and then one with what we do here at Grace. You know, why we, the way we structure things so that we would believe that God is doing the work. In parenting, we have a lot of parenting classes. From brand newborns, right, all the way to parenting adolescents. And when we teach the class, we're using books. Those are good things, right? Tobias and Dobson and, and Tripp and um, Huggins and the various people that are experts in these fields. And we teach that and we have principles that are laid out. And then usually, we usually have a panel discussion at these classes at the end. We'll have a bunch of older people up on stage, husband, wife team. And, and people, that's when the place is packed usually. They, you know, everybody shows up with sharp pencils, whole pads of paper. Come on, man. Tell me the secret, seven steps to parenting. I want to make sure these kids know what to do. And quite often people are disappointed, the audience. And, beca- and here's why. Because usually the people up on the stage have either done a few things right and won't take credit for it, or they've done a few things wrong and they've learned from it. But the principles usually come down to this. I mean, it, they'll say something like this. The best thing that I could ever do for my kids in the area of parenting, was to be godly. I realized somewhere along the line that I I couldn't be the manager and protector and the provider for them, and I realized that was God's job, and the best thing that I could do was to be holy, was to pursue God first and foremost, and, and and then listen, and then listen to him and do whatever he told me. 
What does that mean? Listen to him. How do you listen to God? You read his Bible. You listen to him in your prayer life. And then you do what he told you to do. It's kind of a two, it's two basic fundamental principles. I want to be a godly parent. And I, and I want to listen to God and then do what he says. That's, that's great parenting. And I mean, that's, great. That's, a, that's a great way to be a great mate. Be godly. Be holy. Pursue him relationally. Not as an employer. Not as a genie. As a lover. Listen to him in his word and in, in your prayer life. And then do what he tells you to do. That's true with parenting. And then you have stories about God coming in and rescuing your children in areas you didn't know about because you prayed for them or providing for them in ways that you could never believe. You have stories, and God's the center point of that story. So it is with the parenting, okay? I, just, I thought you could touch that. So it is at this church. At Grace, here's what we try to do. This is, this is our church growth strategy. The leadership tries to be godly. It's... We try to focus on what God would have us do in our hearts. We want to have an intimate relationship with him. We, tr- we start at the leadership. We try to get to the staff level. We try to get to the leadership level of every ministry. Love God with all your heart and then listen to him and then do what he tells you to do. Come, if he tells you to come out and you know, walk on some water, get your feet wet. Just do that. And then we have this, and then what we'll do just like in parenting and just like what we talked about before, living by faith means we will, in, in, in our leadership style, we add this X factor, this God cog to some of our big plans so that it will only work if God does something. Okay? We, we add this in so that if this cog turns, they all turn. If this cog does not turn, then we sit and we, we don't know what we're going to do next. So... That's been, in a lot of ways, that's been the history of our church. If we, if we just were following God, we were, we were enjoying his presence. If we weren't following God, things kind of, you know, stalled. They stalled. I had a conversation. Let me illustrate. I had a conversation with a guy about 10 years ago. He was, he was part of our church and wanted to go start a home church because we were getting too big and didn't like it. And I said, yeah, I, said, I don't like it either. Uh, as a matter of fact, it's funny that you should call it a home church. We started home churches in Austin. And the, the, this, this church started in a home, and it was a home church. And then every time we had a small group, our small group ministry was called home churches because the home churches where you could have intimacy and you could do the communion and baptisms and get to know each other and be a church. So that's why we called them home churches. Back in the 70s, we were doing that. And he said, yeah, well, that's what I want. That's why I want to do that again. I said, well, knock yourself out. God bless you. I said, well, but then right before he left, I said, what if... Uh, what if you have real lives, real change? What if people like really have something happen to them and then they tell their friends and their friends come and say, Hey, I want a piece of this. How come, you know, can I come? And you what are you going to say? Well, yeah, I mean, I'm not going to turn anybody away. I said, okay. And what happens if more people come? Like it's bigger than your home. Is your home church going to get bigger than your home? You say, well, yeah, we'll probably just rent an elementary school or something. I said, or a car dealership. Because that's what Grace Covenant Church did. Just a home Bible study that got bigger and bigger. And then they rented a car dealership. And I got to tell you, that's what the cool kids do. <laughs> Doing that before anybody else was. And then when that grew too big, we kind of bought some land and built the building. So we, we, we're not trying to get big here. We're just trying, 
We're not a church of like 3,000 and we're having meetings regularly to get to a church of 5,000. We don't go to church growth conferences. We don't read church growth books. We're just trying to be responsible. And then we build into, you know, we're trying to, we're trying to do, we're not trying to get big. We're trying to get good at what we do. And we try to hire people that do a good job and love working here and love the way we do things here. And then God causes some growth. And then we add this God cog. Before this building was ever built, um, there were a couple of us that were just scared to death and weren't really sure if God wanted that because it, is, it's, you know, it was a big, huge thing. And um, it was so stretching. It was, it was beyond um, anything that anybody was comfortable with. And uh, so a few of us prayed. We just said, God, look, we need, we need a Red Sea kind of experience. And right now we need some office space. And we were, we were literally looking at signing a lease four and a half miles from here. Can you imagine? Oh, I forgot my pen at the church. I'll be back in a half an hour. Four and a half miles away. And so we asked this congregation in 2004, I think, to pray for us going door to door on Jollyville Road to find a place to, to, to house the offices. And so we did. And then Ray, our executive pastor, and I went to lunch with the gentleman that, that owned the 360 building. And he said, I appreciate the lunch. I guess you guys want to rent our, my facility. And, I said, and Ray said, no, sir, we don't want to rent your facility. We want to buy your building. And he said, <laughs> he said well, you know what, here's a, here's a funny thing. Two weeks ago, if you'd asked me that, I told you, no, it's my retirement, that building. But you know what? Yeah, I want to sell it. And I have two offers already, and, but I want to sell it to you guys because you need that building. So, yeah, I'm going to sell you the building. And then I said, and we're going to buy it for half the amount. <clears throat> and he said, no, you're not. These, these are the droids you're looking for, <clears throat> and you are not a Jedi master, and so you'll pay full price. And we did, but the bigger story is the answer to the congregational prayer, but the bigger story still was this was the cog. If we didn't get this, no one would have had confidence and so to this day, when I pray in that building, I pray with my eyes open because I love to look at the carpet or the tile and just go, what, are, what am I doing here? It was a God thing. It was huge. Only God could have done it. This building right here, eight miracles to get this built. Anybody that's in contracting, would, there's some people, probably contractors, that don't think we're here. They don't think this building exists because this is impossible. It, the city would just was not going to let us do that. So here's what, that's what we do. We're not trying to get bigger. We're just trying to get better. We're just trying to be responsible for what God does. But here's what we will not do here. We will not hold out a sign that says no vacancy. We will not say, these seats are taken for people I, I know. We're not going to say to people, you know what, other people's prayers for you will be answered at the church down the street. Let me give you a map. While we, we, are, not, we are passively aggressive about growth, we will not put a stop to, to the people that God brings us. And so in 2004, we made a, a big decision to build this building, to have two fronts, to make it beautiful but not opulent. And people have come. We've had a growth of about 56%, you know, in total since we opened the building. And you know what most of the growth is? You. Because at Grace, we believe that I'm just a pastor, but every believer is a minister. You are the ministers. And half of the people that come here are by invitation of you. Let's just do this for a drill. 
How many of you, your experience with grace has been entirely in this building? In other words, you didn't even know about the other worship center. In other words, you came here after Easter of 2009. Stand up. Just stand up. Yeah, well, good for you guys. That's so fun to see that. Thank you. So thanks for standing up. We appreciate you coming. (laughs) And the people that made the crazy gifts to make this happen, we are very grateful that the Lord led you here. Um, We could... We could have another, we could have twice as many people in this auditorium. This is the last auditorium that will ever be built on this lot. But there's another 400 kids. When there's 750 people here, there's about 400 other people on campus with just children's ministry. There is no other place on campus that can expand except this building. If this building had twice as many people in it, our campus would have to look like this. This is the master plan of our campus. We're, we're, the, we're that group that, that, you know, instead of paved paradise and put up a parking lot, we're, we're tearing up a parking lot and putting up paradise. All that parking area is going to be taken out. A, a, a bigger park will be put in the middle. We want to make this church feel very friendly and very small. There's an amphitheater in the middle where we can have outdoor venues, and at the bottom there's a fountain with a, with a baptismal to do outside baptisms. That's our campus. We want all the parking somewhere else so that we can have nothing but the experience of God's nature on this campus with beautiful buildings. I'm not ashamed to put up beautiful buildings. The next building for us is going to be the expansion of our children's ministry. This will be the last children's facility that we'll ever need, the first two floors of what is called the Live Oak Building. It's 150% the size of the Cornerstone Building. It will be attached to the Cornerstone Building. Now, you're going to get a brochure on the way out today. I mean, this thing is, ought to be on your coffee table, honestly. This is fabulous work. It'll tell you a lot about what we're doing and where we're going, but I want you to see that'll, that'll be the view from the worship center. Everything to the left is what's called the Live Oak Building. The first two floors are for children, and the top floor is for multipurpose. It'll be youth on Sunday morning. This is the first building we have designed for purpose. This is the first building for educational reasons that we've designed for the relational discipleship that we do here. In other words, we we want intimate relationships for the purposes of developing deep intimacy with, with Christ. Every floor is built to have a big room conversation and then breakout rooms to apply passages so that you could have deep friendships that will point you to a deeper relationship with Jesus Christ. So we're pretty excited because this is the last children's building that we'll need. It will, it will accommodate, if this building, if the worship center doubles, it will accommodate all of those needs. It will be used for Celebrate Recovery. It will be probably used for Reengage. It will be used for women's Bible study. The third floor will be used for a lot of the ministries that are running out of room everywhere else. Now, for a lot of you, you don't know how that happens since you don't have uh, a church background. The way a non-denominational, because we can't go to Nashville and ask for help, or Rome, um, (laughs) it's us. And so here's what happens. That building with additional parking cost $8.5 million. And what we're going to do is the next few weeks, we're going to ask you to pray about you pledging for two years to give to pay for that building in addition to your regular giving. So we're going to, I'll tell you more about it, but we're going to give out these pledge cards. We'll give you this today. That'll give you a lot of information. Then you'll get pledge cards. And the pledge cards, we want you to talk to somebody that you're, that you're tight with, maybe somebody in your family or somebody that you're accountable with, and say, how much 
can I give to my church to help provide the last building on that section that we'll ever need, in addition to regular giving? We, we, we get all those pledges together. This is how it works mechanically. You get all those pledges together. You go to a bank. They lend you about 80% of that. We collect that money over the two years that you pledge it. And then hopefully by the end, if it's $8.5 million, if, we, if it raised that, by the end, we just walk in the building debt-free. We would, we'd still owe uh, uh, some debt on this. Every dime that we get, probably, every dime that we get in addition to the $8.5 million will be used to pay off this building. Still have a little bit of debt on this building, about three and a half to, or about $4 million by the time we break ground on this building. It's a very low interest rate, and so we'll see about paying that off early. We've been double payments for the last year or so. We don't like debt. We like to pay it off as soon as we can, but that's what we want to do. We want to, we want to go through this journey together of seeing how God could work in our church. He's worked in our church. He's part of the, he's the giant cog in the middle that turns everything around here. All the ministries turn around that. And now what we're going to do is ask you guys to join in a journey with us. Here's what we need. One, and this is right now. This is actually last Monday. We need you to pray for city approval. We, we've actually, we already have approval for that master plan and every building on it, but we have to get reapproved for that. It's just the way it works here in town, and those, those approvals lapsed, and now we're going back with a, pretty much the same plan, and it sounds simple, but that's because you don't know Austin. And it will take, we really need to get this thing through. It, it's on their desk as of Monday. It's a, it, we're running a parallel tracks, one for the overall master plan and one for just the Live Oak building. Please pray that God supernaturally approves this thing, especially before the uh, Christmas break starts happening. Two, we want you to be part of this great story. We want you to make a journey out of this. We want you to have a story at the end of this thing that says, I can't believe this happened. I can't believe where this money came from. I've never done anything like this before. This is crazy. Okay. And then you have something to talk about. We build in things at this church that makes bankers grimace, that makes... Uh, that makes, I don't know, management team people say we're goofy, that makes real estate people say it'll never happen, that we make, that, that even your accountant wonder what you're up to. We want you to consider doing that. The songs that we've been singing have been invitations to come out and walk on some water, but you're going to have to get out of a boat. Now, look, there's, there's some people, it's like, there's a different types of people hearing this message right now, and I'm going to try to get in your heads for a second, Okay. So there's some type, there's, there's some of you that talking about money just weirds you out and it's, it's kind of, it, it's very uncomfortable. You would love to have left a half an hour ago. Okay. I get that. I still want you to go on a journey with, with us because there's so much, there's so much of our lives that are filled with fear. And if it's not this, let's talk, let's use money as a metaphor for other fear. And some of you, by the way, in the same category, some of you are generous. You've figured out generosity or you were raised that way or it's, it comes easy to you and you don't see this as a journey. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to give generously and sacrificially and pray about that. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to apply the lessons that we're going to learn in the next few weeks as your breakthrough moment. I'll bet, again, we said this a few weeks ago, most of what God has for you is on the other side of fear. And we build these fortresses around us and we won't get past them. And you need someone, instead of hugging you, right? A mate or a, a, a person that you care about, instead of hugging you, needs to sit you in a chair and say, look, Christ can do this in you. Will you quit? Will you quit with this? And you could overcome your fear of 
uh, you know, you could learn to love your job or, or tell your boss you appreciate him or stand up to your mother-in-law or get over the anxiety that you live with. Think of what you, who would your mate think, what would your mate think of you if you transcended the fear that enslaves you? Don't be one of the 11 that sits on the boat. Be crazy like Peter and get out and walk on some water a couple steps and see what happens to you. Now, the rest, so the, the, the easy givers and the I don't want to talk about money crowd, let's just go on another journey together, shall we? This other group, maybe the majority of us say, okay, I want you to, I want you to see what would happen if God were the central cog of your finances. See what happens. Put him in some trouble. You know, when we, we've been thinking about this for years. And so, you know, Melinda and I were thinking, <laughs> we're, on, we're, on a, we're on a fixed income with two kids in college. And so we don't have a lot of money. I mean, it's not like we can drop cable. We never had cable to drop, right? So we're just kind of living in that world right now. That's just the way it is. Some of you don't understand. But so last year, we, we, we auditioned um, for Family Feud. And, and Melinda and I were like, we could give to the building, man. We're going to win and we're going we're gonna to pray God. And we want to win all $40,000, you know, and the truck. And, and if you know Family Feud. And we got on. But they didn't ask us to film. So, still waiting for that call. But um, the bigger point is, the bigger point is, I'm not, I'm not mad, but uh, right answer, right answer, I'm not mad. The bigger deal is we're just going to see what God does in our finances. But we're going to do something that makes, you know, our retirement and management guy that we talk to, we're going to make him squirm. Maybe get audited again by the IRS. We're going to do something that requires an explanation. And the answer will be, God, we're listening. We're, we're trying to be godly. We're trying to be holy. We're trying to just follow him. We're having an intimate relationship with God. We thought we heard something in his word and in a voice. And so we're just doing what we're told. You'll have to talk to him about how he is going to get out of this. Wouldn't you want a story like that? Please don't live a life. Please, please don't live a life where you settle. Please don't live a life where you say, and then, and then we got married, and then we had children, and we controlled everything, and then we retired, and there. And the river never froze, Matt, and we made it safely to an island of regret. So join us in this endeavor of trying to get God to build something that only he could build. Okay, that's what we're asking. Let's pray. I'm going to pray. I'm just going to pray the song we sang. <laughs> I'm going to pray a song that we sang. Spirit, lead me where my trust is without borders. Let me walk upon the waters wherever you would call me. Uh, take me deeper than my feet will ever wander and, and my faith will be made stronger in the presence of your Savior. Spirit, oh, please lead me to, border, to pass this border of fear into this place of trust. God, don't let me live a life that's too predictable. Please, dear God, give me a story where you're the center focus and, and, and you intervened and you stepped in and you did something to build or protect or provide. 
Give me, please, God, please give me that story. Let me hear your voice and then give me the courage to obey it. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. For more information about grace, visit our website at grace360.org. 